And what would you say to the people who, and there's a majority of people that say, you know, this was a while ago, get over it. We didn't do this. Like my ancestors had nothing to do with it. What do you say to them about moving forward from this? It was June 2015 when the members of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission presented 94 calls to action and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau confirmed his government's commitment to implementing each call to action. And six years later, we've only seen 13 of those calls to action implemented. And today I'm joined with Rachel Blaney, MP for North Island Powell River in British Columbia. Uh, Blaney is the Deputy Critic for Crown Indigenous Relations and Indigenous Service. So thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me to talk about this very important issue. So what's your perspective on why all 94 calls to action haven't been implemented yet? Well, it, it shows a lack of political will. There's no doubt that some of the recommendations are complex and need sensitivity in how they're addressed. Uh, but this is really just a lack of political will by, will by the, the uh, Liberal government to move forward on these calls to action that really start to set a stage where Canada can acknowledge its history. And uh, what would an NDP government do differently than what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government has done? Currently? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic uh, question. And, you know, I always think about my leader, Jagmeet Singh, during the 2019 election being asked by media around the uh, very serious concern of clean drinking water. And people were, you know, the media were pointing out that it would cost a lot of money. And, and I really appreciate what he said, which is, would you be asking that question if we were asking about Toronto or Vancouver or Edmonton? We really need to address these issues. So I think we would make a priority of those issues and make sure that there is nothing barring the way to these basic human rights. I can't imagine living in a community and we know that there's some Indigenous communities that have not had clean drinking water in a generation and that's very concerning to me. So we would take those things seriously, work with Indigenous communities and understand that the history of our country is based in genocide and I think that is a really important step. I really appreciated our Member of Parliament Leah Gazan for making that motion in the House and was really disappointed to see uh, that, it, that that motion was not supported. Um, do you think we'll ever see all these calls to action completed? Yeah, I think we will. I think we will because Indigenous communities are strong, growing stronger every day. I think that, you know, what I've seen in my office that has been most uh, powerful is two things. One is a lot of Indigenous uh, people across my writing calling into the office to talk about how they finally feel like people are starting to understand what it means for them to have gone or have a parent or loved one who went to residential school and that they're really hopeful but scared to be hopeful. I think the fact that Indigenous people are 
just growing in strength and in numbers and are being joined by allies. These things will happen. It's just a matter of how long. And hopefully that political will is changing so that we can see those things actually be completed and that we don't see the new harms that are happening today. And right now we know that Canada has had several non-compliance orders from the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal on the treatment of First Nations children in care. We know right now that the government is actually taking those children to court. Those things are continuing. And if we don't accept that our country is based on genocide, it's like we can't take that next step to recognize the basic human rights of all Canadians. So do I believe it will happen? Yes. I just hope the political will does it quickly, more quickly than not because we need to address these issues so that we can move forward together as a country. Um, what's a misconception in your opinion that the general public has about these calls to action and what impact has that had on Indigenous communities? I think that one of the biggest misconceptions is, is what we're seeing right now, which is people minimizing the history of Indigenous populations in our country and not understanding to the full extent how the government and the churches worked to really perform genocide to oppress a, a, a group of people. You know, just a few days ago, I was in front of a grade one class uh, who were asking questions about residential school. And it was a hard, you know, group of, of questions with kids really curious about basic things like why didn't they feed them properly? Why would they bury them and not tell their parents? You know, how do you talk to a bunch of six-year-olds about these horrendous realities? But they see, see the news and they are very impacted because their connection to that is is so current because that's their lived experience as young people so i think that that is probably the most biggest misconception is we have minimized that history we've tried to see ourselves as a nice country that wouldn't hurt people that badly and so i think that minimization has really impacted the calls to action because it feels like people uh, we're minimizing the impacts. And now that we're starting to see those unveiled a little bit more, I hope to see all Canadians joining hands and saying, we absolutely not only need to implement these 94 key calls to action, but we have to be looking at the calls to action, the 291 calls to action for the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. I think it's just so important that we start to recognize in our country, something is happening because Indigenous people are struggling disproportionately to their population. And that can't just be their fault. And I think that has been one of the biggest misunderstandings and terrible thing where we see the blaming of the victim. And we need to stop that in our country. How do we move forward and where is the pathway to accountability? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the hardest part as, as a non-Indigenous person, what I keep, because so many people are calling my office right now from, from the non-Indigenous community, just not knowing what to do, knowing that something's wrong, really struggling with this. And I keep encouraging people to feel uncomfortable and to learn how to be okay with that, because it's only in that discomfort that we start to learn. I just had a conversation with someone yesterday and I said, you know, every time I'm feeling uncomfortable about what I should do, I recognize that in my discomfort, I'm just experiencing a tiny portion of the discomfort that Indigenous people have felt in this country since the colonizers arrived. So, you know, I think people have to educate themselves. So with all the sad news about the unmarked graves at 
former residential schools. What has been your take on everything that has come out in the past few weeks? Well, it's been immensely painful. Um, you know, I'm married to a survivor of residential school. And when I was four, my father who adopted me uh, was Indigenous and my granny went to residential school and, you know, we didn't talk about that a lot. And it was a very hard thing to unpack. And I find that ever since these children have been found, there's a new sense of grieving, grieving that these histories have been hidden they've been hidden from non-Indigenous people, but also within our families. Like I have talked to some of my family members and it's kind of like with my, what my granny told us, it's like little bits here and there. It's like trying to put together a map of her history and not even having a full understanding of that because it was just too painful for her to talk about. And, you know, watching survivors trying to navigate this time is, is really painful. And watching people, like I've talked to some older people who remember, you know, the Indian school down the, down the way, and they just thought of it as a school. They never took a moment. So that guilt is coming out for them because they were there and they didn't know, they didn't choose to know, and they didn't address it. So I think this, that Canada is in a huge wave of grief right now. I think it's uh, painful and I hope people will take this opportunity to learn more. And I keep, keep thinking of the truth and reconciliation commissioners and how they talked about how many survivors came to them to talk about children that they saw die, children that disappeared, children that they saw be buried. And, you know, our, it was the conservative government at that time did not fund that extra resources to study that. And I think that just shows the depth of political will to block the history of our country and to leave communities who are telling us i can't imagine another community in canada saying i saw children die i saw them be buried their parents didn't know i saw it and we just don't make sure that we find those children that we don't put every resource in place to find those children it took finding of 215 children that start to even get serious about it i mean it's it it shame on canada like i hope we are all taking a moment to think about the canada we want to be and so those children have opened up a, a wound and i hope that we are brave enough to face this uh, to join hands with indigenous people and support the processes that need to happen for healing. Um, so will we ever see the government and churches come fully clean about their rules in residential schools? Well, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. And it's one of those things when history tells us that that is not going to happen. Uh, and things like this don't happen unless there is the, the many voices of the, the public that say we absolutely need to deal with this. So, you know, again, when I talk to non-Indigenous people who are feeling helpless, who are not sure what to do, these are all the things you can do. Educate yourself, push your church, push the government, keep telling them that you will not stop asking for these answers. And it's time. You know, when I think about these survivors coming to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and bearing their souls, 
and telling those stories and being ignored, it being another volume in a document sitting in the House of Commons not being addressed, the only way we can make it right is if we all come together and we all continue to say that has to be done. So I hope people will continue to put on pressure. Um, but what about the institutions that were involved? Why have we not seen any of them held criminally liable for their role in residential schools? And will that be something that we might see happen as more schools are being looked at for unmarked graves? Well, I know today I was reading an article about how little the Catholic Church uh, gave to support, you know, recognizing the survivors with with resources, with money. And I think we need to all understand that this history happened, that, you know, I think this is why the government does not want to call it a genocide. I don't see any of the ministers or the prime minister saying in front of Canadians, this is what it is, because we know that there's international ramifications. But right now, all of the world is looking at Canada. It's hard for a lot of Canadians who have always thought, well, we're a great friendly country where everybody is nice to realize that we are a country that is literally walking on the bones of dead children all over our country because of actions that our government and the church has made. So I think until that level of accountability is taken into consideration and acted on, we're not gonna get to the other side. You know, people keep saying, I feel like I'm grieving the loss of Canada. This is our moment as Canadians where we can say no more silence. We will not allow people to suffer alone. We will own the history of our country and we will become the Canada that we can be proud of again. But we can only do this if there's truth and if there's justice for Indigenous people. And part of that is holding all of these organizations to account. And what would you say to the people who, and there's a majority of people that say, you know, this was a while ago, get over it, we didn't do this, like my ancestors had nothing to do with it. What do you say to them about moving forward from this? Well, that's something that I've heard uh, before, and it's a painful thing to hear. Uh, as a person who's married to a survivor, it's not in the past. It's part of my life. And it's been part of my life in raising my children with my husband, where we can see the challenges. And my kids, I mean, we've asked a lot of our children to be kind and gentle with the realities of the limits of my husband because of his own experience. Um, so to me, I guess I would say to those folks that it isn't far away. The last residential school to close in Saskatchewan was in 1996 in British Columbia here where I am. It was 1984. The impacts of generations of children being stolen from their homes and then sent back damaged. Uh, it has a huge impact on the community. So it's still here with us today. It has not gone away. And I would also say that I hope that for all Canadians, if we found out that our neighbor had found out that there were bodies of dead children in their community, that we would all stand up and stand with them. You know, I've seen some beautiful things in, in the children that we found, you know, people driving to the community with food trucks just to feed people who are mourning 
who are caring for the sacred fires. I've seen, you know, businesses donate things that people have some comfort during this time. It's not over. And until this, instead of an indigenous story, uh, we will not even be close to being healed. So it's not over, it's right now. And we have to continue this very sacred, important work. If we wanna be a country, we can really be fully proud of again. And before I let you go today, what are you currently working on on the Hill? And what are you bringing forward in order to get these calls to action for implemented quicker, to get the calls to action for the missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls? And yeah. Well, you know, what's what we're working on, of course, is supporting the amazing Cindy Blackstock and her, you know, recognition of the fact that First Nations children have been discriminated against by this country and that we still have a government that's taking them to court and ignoring those non-compliance orders. We will continue to fight for that. We're continuing to fight for clean drinking water for every single Indigenous community across this country. It is absolutely shameful. And we are also fighting, of course, for the resources to to be in those communities. You know, I had one chief give me a call not too long ago uh, and with the, the missing children that they are finding, you know, he talked about the reality that we need supports for the communities that have a school in their territory because they have to reach out to the source communities uh, that the children that were sent from to make sure that in every step they take, they are doing that in the most careful way that they can and, and I think we're gonna to continue to fight for resources to find children, but also to support the healing and also to support those connections to different communities. And of course, we'll continue to work around missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, these precious, people. You know, I think of in my writing, I have a, a couple of amazing women who run the Little Red Dress campaign, and they make beaded earrings and pins with little red dresses, and they sell them. And they take the money from those resources to put up signs to say this woman is missing. If you've seen her, please call this number. How is it that these, you know, amazing heroes in our community are doing this work, but our government is not? You know, this is a this is what genocide looks like. So we're going to continue to fight for the recognition of what is happening now and what our history is and understanding how our history is impacting today. Uh, and that is an important work and we're going to continue to do it because it's all about truth and justice for Indigenous communities. It's about time. It is about time and I'm hopeful and optimistic that those changes and those calls to action will be completed. Thank you for joining me today, Ms. Blaney. I'm Lauren Nelson for Next Big Thing magazine.